Okay, so that was a fun tournament. Congratulations to Team Canada for capturing gold at the World Juniors. And Dylan Gunther, or as they call him in Arizona, Golden Gunner. Someone texted me that this morning. Uh, with the overtime heroics, uh, putting himself in the category of John Slaney's in 1991. And as far as excitement goes, probably is Jordan Eberle's semifinal goal uh, against Russia as well. Anyway, um, congratulations to Team Canada. Although along the way, a lot of other players, Yuri Kulik specifically from Czech, uh, who really distinguished themselves, a lot of players helped cement reputations. Here's the thing, and we mentioned this on the show yesterday. This is a tournament where casual hockey fans can get to know these players and understand them a little bit better. Trust me, there are no surprises for scouts. Scouts look at this as a two-week slice of a player's career. They're, trust me, there are no scouts or a no, there are no teams that have suddenly discovered just how good Connor Bedard is. Or there are no teams who looked at David Juracek, draft pick of the Columbus Blue Jackets, and said, wow, we didn't know he was that good. But... As far as putting a player on the map for hockey fans, both in Canada and the United States specifically, this is a wonderful tournament and one of the most exciting tournaments that we've seen. Congratulations, USA, as well, for winning bronze in a really thrilling game against Sweden. That was just flat-out fun. Maybe the most fun game of the entire tournament. Congratulations to everyone involved there. I mean, now all of a sudden, everybody knows who these players are or at least have a deeper understanding of who these players are, whether it's Shane Wright, whether it's Dylan Gunther, whether it's Brant Clark, whether it's Joshua Waugh, go right down the list. I mentioned, you know, Yuri Kulik, David Juracek as well from, from Checo. Maybe you know Logan Cooley a little bit better now. Maybe you know you're a Blues fan, you want to know more about Jimmy Snuggerud. Like all of a sudden, you know, now you think, okay, I get a better sense of who this player is. And now we're going to ask questions about where these players go. Now, there's someone sent me a note this morning saying, don't be surprised if Olin Zellweger gets traded to Kamloops almost right away. Um, he plays with Everett. Uh, Kamloops is hosting the Memorial Cup. It does not sound like Connor Bedard is going to get moved from the Regina Pats anywhere. John Paddock has been profound about that and hasn't wavered whatsoever. So it sounds as if option B is Olin Zellweger, who is a Anaheim Ducks prospect and who was excellent at this tournament. Looks like Shane Wright will be staying and traded, so he remains in the, uh, so he goes rather, uh, to OHL Kingston. You know, Ottawa's got a shot there. Peterborough's got a shot there. Barry's got a shot there as well. Those three seem to be the headlines there. It sounds like Brant Clark is going to Barry as well of the OHL. Barry is trying to uh, to load up. There is a an avenue for them to collect up a lot of players. The Barry Colts have a lot of picks. So now the next question is, where is everybody going? Also, from Team Finland, it sounds as if, and I mentioned this on Hockey Night last week, um, Brad Lambert, who's a first-round draft pick of the Winnipeg Jets, although he's not with Seattle right now, there is some speculation, and maybe from some corners, some belief that he ends up in the Western Hockey League with the Seattle Thunderbirds, who just happen to be the best team, or I'll rank number one anyhow, as the best team in the CHL. They're about to get more skilled and better. That team is an absolute dynamic force in junior hockey. And if you're handicapping it right now, with all due respect to the Quebecs and the Portlands, etc., uh, they've got to be considered the favorite for the Memorial Cup. So we'll see all these where all these players end up. Uh, on that, we'll bring aboard Matt Marchese, who's going to sort of top and tail today's show. Our producer, once again, joining 
the program for Master Control. How are you today, Maddie? I'm good, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm doing very well. Big night for Rick Bonus, hey? Yeah, that 2,600 games behind a bench of an NHL team as a as an NHL head coach or assistant coach, the most ever. And the first thing that I thought of was, man, that's a lot of hours at the rink. And that doesn't even include all the practices and everything else. Like Rick Bonus is, he's legitimately the definition of a hockey lifer. It's funny, too, because that's the name of Bruce Boudreaux's book, which is one of those books that I encourage everybody to read. We've always looked at Gabby and said, oh, yeah, hockey lifer. Maybe the ultimate hockey lifer here is 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 Rick Bonus. Like, I'm sure you're the same way as me. Like, you look at a lot of people around the NHL and you say to yourself, you know, I really hope that when this person's career is over, they write a book. I really hope that Rick Bonus writes a book when all is said and done. I don't know if he wants to, if by the time he's wrapped up, and who knows when he's going to wrap up. We thought he was done after the Dallas situation. Um, I don't know if he'll still have the energy or, or want to do it or just spend time with the grandkids. But I really hope that Rick Bonus, at the end of all of it, just because he's seen so much and you know touched so many different players, uh, I really hope he writes a book or somehow documents his life in the NHL. You know, I think of Rick Bonus and I think of... Well, I'll tell you what, you know the first person I think of when I hear the name Rick Bonus? Victor Hedman. Mm-hmm. You know, Victor Hedman joined the NHS when Bonus was on the bench in Tampa as an assistant coach and handling the blue line. You know, the transition into the NHL for Victor Hedman was anything but smooth. You know, there was one game I remember specifically, it was against the Ottawa Senators, and Hedman's going around the net and he just gets freight trained by Chris Neal. Like, full-on explosion, bam. And after the game, he's like, yeah, you know, essentially, I'm paraphrasing here. I've got a lot to learn. You know, I can't be doing that. You know, the forecheck is quick here. I'm used to, you know, uh, having more space, having more time to, to make my decision when I have the puck in my own zone, specifically behind the net. Like, it wasn't, <clears throat> it wasn't, um, it didn't look like, and it's always more difficult for defensemen, it didn't look like this guy was going to step in and turn heads and be in the Norris conversation right away. You saw that he could get to that spot, but it was going to take a while. And the one person who really helped him more than anything else um, was Rick Bonus, more than anyone else, was Rick Bonus. I remember talking to Bonus about this, and I said, what was up with, with Hedman and Tampa? Like, how did you get through to Victor Hedman, who's now one of the best defenseman of this generation Norris Trophy, Stanley Cups someone that all Swedish defensemen now, before they would all point to Lidstrom of that generation, the next generation you know, all point to Victor Hedman they want to be that guy uh, and he said, well first of all, the thing you have to understand about Victor Hedman is he has a basic and profound mistrust of coaches, he doesn't trust them, he doesn't believe them he thinks they're always lying to them. I mean, this all comes from history, and he's not the only player to feel that way. And I asked Rick, I said, how did you get through to him? Like, what was it? Like, how did you finally get through to Victor Hedman to get him to, to buy in on his transition from European hockey to the NHL to help bring him to the place that he's at now where he occupies some, some pretty rare air? And he said, first of all, I didn't do all of it. A lot of that is Victor Hedman's. But he said something really interesting. And this has always stuck with me, Maddie. He said, we would do a lot of time talking. And he said, to begin with, we would go for walks and we would talk all the time. But I never talked about hockey. 
He said a lot of other coaches right away would just want to be 24-7, talk about hockey, your game, your practice, what you're doing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He said, I made sure to talk about everything except for hockey, and it was only after he started to trust me that I started to talk about hockey. Like, that's why Rick Bonus has succeeded and Rick Bonus has thrived. I think in this industry, because I look at the, you know, 2,600 behind the game, behind the bench tonight for the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, that's a, to your point, that's a lot of time at the rink. It's a lot of time behind the bench. How has he been able to do it? And the thing that I keep coming back to is he's able to relate to players and he understands people really well. And he doesn't just, Maddie, he doesn't just look at them as if they're 24 seven hockey machines. He looks at them as if they're people first and hockey players second. And I think the best example that I can point to for, you know, the uh, the brilliance that is Rick Bonus is Victor Hedman. Yeah. What and, do you think of that? Yeah, and, and the, what I would say is that is also recognizing and adapting to situations because the way you coach is not the same way anymore. Right, it, it's not. You have to be like a, a psychologist yeah. for twenty-five different players or whatever it is, and realizing that this is what this person needs and this is what this person needs, and not just melding everyone together in one pot. And I think that is the genius of Rick Bonus, where a lot of people have not figured that out at the coaching level yet. All right, we got a lot to get to today. Uh, Cam Robinson steps by from Elite Prospects. We'll go over some of the names that we just witnessed over the couple of past couple of weeks in, in Halifax and Moncton. And again, congratulations uh, to all three medal winners, to Team Canada, Czechia, and also the United States. Shana Goldman uh, will do sort of a concern meter and hope meter around the NHL. Trust me, stick with me. It'll be good. From the Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. In the meantime, I want to get right to our first guest. Uh, he is Keith Jones, uh, analyst for the NHL on TNT. And he's someone that's, you know, watched and seen and, you know, uh, been on the ice against someone like Rick Bonus, who celebrates game number 2600 this evening. Jonesy, how are you today? I'm doing great, Jeff. And, and Rick is one of those guys that I always enjoy visiting with before games. And as a head coach, it's been great to, you know, get his perspective a lot more as an assistant. It's, sometimes it's a little more difficult um, to get the chat with those yeah. guys, but you can see why he's been successful. And you used a great example of the work he did with Victor Hedman. And that is such an important yeah. part of the coaching game, isn't it? So He's one of the best, yeah. and I'm so happy that he's uh, achieved what he has, and he's still going. Yeah, you know, and the um, there's there's another situation that I of, of recent note that I that I point to because I always, I always sort of lean towards, and this is maybe more of a hint at who I am than, than anything else, but I always gravitate more towards people who choose, you know, when there's a when there's an issue. I always gravitate more towards people that choose conversation over confrontation. And we've seen coaches come in and, you know, the, there's your stereotype of come in and, and, and kiss, kick the trash can and, and right away and yell and scream and rip your jacket and tear a guy. You're no good. You don't belong here. We're like all of that. There was a while with Dallas. Okay. This is when Rick was you know, first transitioned from assistant coach to head coach. And they're on some type of losing streak and just, just it just wasn't wasn't happening. And the story that a couple of players told me was, you know, they came into the room and they're all waiting for the explosion, right, Keith? Like you've seen it, you've probably been part of it, uh, from with various coaches. And instead of coming in and, you know, kicking the garbage can, he grabbed the chair 
and sat down and he said, we're going to talk about this. I'm going to sit here and I want all you guys to talk. I want you to tell me if I'm doing something wrong, talk about your teammates, talk about yourself, and we're not leaving until this all gets aired out. Like a lot of coaches just come in house on fire there, right, Jonesy? And just like lose their minds and want to send a, send a, you know, set a certain timber and send a message to the team. And there's Rick Bonus who just grabs a chair and says, okay, boys, let's talk. That doesn't surprise you at all, does it, Keith? It doesn't, but I can tell you I've never sat in one of those. As a player, in my time playing in the National Hockey League, it was a lot about kicking the garbage can and you know having the emotional uh, reaction, seeing what type of response. And I, I will say, when I was younger and just starting in the NHL, it, it, it kind of worked for me, and I probably needed it a lot more until I became you know a little bit more mature as a player and you know could handle you know things in different ways just by experience but there's no doubt that uh, a conversation goes a long way between coach and player and oftentimes assistant coaches are the guys that you're having those conversations with so I'm sure that probably played into some of what uh, Bones kind of transferred over to being a head coach as well. Is that more the new way to do things as well? I mean, younger players now, it's constant feedback and conversation and door wide open and talk to me after every game where before, I mean, Keith, when you when you played in the NHL, how many times were you able to, you know, just walk into the coach's office or pull the coach aside as opposed to just, well, uh, I hope the coach talks to me today. Okay, he didn't. Maybe he'll talk to me tomorrow. Yeah, there was a lot of mystery involved in trying to read that a coach's mind when you know, when I first started, but I will say I played for Roger Nilsson. That was very easy, uh, very conversational, always an open door. Uh, and Mark Crawford was the same with me as well. You know, Crow had, you know, a certain way of, you know, trying to motivate you, but we always had uh, great conversations around the game. And that's not always been said about uh, Mark Crawford, but that was the way it was for me. He was a perfect match for me and one of my favorite head coaches. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Uh, Rick Bonus, congratulations. Game number 2,600 tonight. Uh, Winnipeg Jets uh, facing off against Tampa Bay Lightning. Okay, um, UC Soros. So we've talked a lot. Anyone who's watched the World Juniors has you know, been fascinated with Thomas Millich, who's a goaltender, plays for Seattle in the Western Hockey League, has gone through two drafts. He's never been drafted. He's a free agent. Um, and the reason is people point at him and say, well, it's a size issue. Uh, we look at UC Saros, who sets a Nashville Predators single-game record with 64 saves, facing 67 shots. They beat the uh, Car- <laughs> juggernaut Carolina Hurricanes by a final score of 5-3. to three. And standing at the end, the first star who sets the franchise record is a smallish goaltender, UC Saros. Before I get your thoughts on the Preds and what they do here... Do you have a thought on Saros, who kind of seems like an old throwback-style smallish goaltender? Yeah, he, he obviously has the mind to, you know, to play the position because a lot of goaltenders with their size are, you know, positionally sound based upon just how big they are in the net. So a player like Saros has to think the game well. He has to anticipate well. He has to be a great athlete, and he can't just rely upon – pucks bouncing off of him so it's impressive in today's game uh he has obviously got 
a great determination to, you know, to continue to push on and eventually become the number one net nighter with the Nashville Predators. But the smaller guys are not the norm anymore. So congrats to him, and uh, hopefully that sets a good, uh, you know, role model for some younger guys that are, you know, trying to make it in that position that just aren't six foot five and two hundred and ten pounds. Yeah, you know, the I was always told, and I still remember this from from one goalie coach. We we're having the conversation about goaltender goaltenders, big versus small. And I was sort of asking, like, why do you guys always, you know, default to the bigger netminders, even though they may not be as uh, uh, traditionally athletic as some of the smaller goalies? And he said, point blankly, look, big, and you hinted at this as well, look, big goalies make accidental saves. It just kind of went off the guy because he was big. Like, that's the thing about small goaltenders, and I always point to Saros on this one. Small goaltenders have to really make every single save. Nothing is accidental. Nothing just, you know, pucks don't just accidentally hit UC Saros, you know, where, you know, it might just bounce off a bigger goaltender. If Saros doesn't have his angles right, that's going in because he's not, you know, as you mentioned, six foot five and, and 215 pounds. Where do you see Nashville right now? Keith, like it's, you know, there's a, there's a, there's an old uh, saying by the, the late comedian Sam Kinison, and it goes like this: If you're going to miss heaven, don't miss it by two inches. And I always think about those teams in the <laughs> NHL that are in that mushy middle. You know, there's a reward, there's a reward up top, and there's a reward at the bottom. And right now, that reward is is Connor Bedard. But the teams that are in the middle are the ones you really feel for, and that's kind of where Nashville finds themselves right now. Yeah, and and they should be better. So I I think, you know, when I looked at them going into the season, I liked the team that David Poyle had put together. And I'm surprised that they've just kind of been in the middle. Um, I think they're better than Mm -hmm. that. So I think that they'll stay the course and try to sneak into the playoffs. And if they're in the playoffs, I think they're a very capable team. I I don't... uh, I wouldn't say that there's no chance for the Nashville Predators to win the Stanley Cup. I, I do think, you talked about the goaltender in Saros, they have Yossi on the back end. They kept Forsberg for the reason of trying to, you know, make some noise yeah. come playoff time. And they've got uh, a certain amount of toughness in their lineup that should translate to, you know, being a good playoff team. So could they be like the LA Kings in, you know, 2012 or 14 and, you know, get into the playoffs and make a miraculous run, uh, they could. So I, if I was Nashville and with David Poyle at this point in his career, uh, I don't think there's any selling going on there. I think they try to make the playoffs and see if they get in what they can do when they get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of making the playoffs, I never thought I'd be saying this on January the 6th, just after noon Eastern, but... Um, the Colorado Avalanche are not in a playoff position right now, Jonesy. And uh, I don't know whether like, I look at Colorado and I always say, ultimately, this team is going to be fine. This team is too good and they'll probably have Gabriel Landeskog's cap space because he's on LTIR to play with to get there, which makes you know a deal for Horvat or Kane or whomever uh, a little easier. Um, but is there any concern from you at all about the Avalanche? Dropped one last night to the Vancouver Canucks. We'll get to them in a second. But any concern at all for the Avs? Yeah, lots of concern. Uh, I, I'm I'm worried about them because, you know, there are a couple more injuries away from being out of it. Uh, you know, right now you're thinking, okay, players are getting going to come back soon. McKinnon just returned to the lineup. Yeah. Uh, more bodies should be coming back into the 
into the fold, uh, but you drop a couple more players down and a couple more guys exit the lineup, all of a sudden it's uh, becoming a much greater challenge in order to find rhythm and find a way to get there. So, uh, you know, after an incredible run last year and a dominating run to the Stanley Cup championship, it's been a really difficult season. Some of it, you, you talk about the price you pay to get there. The other part of it is the, you know, the price they had to pay and allowing some players to go on in free agency. And I, I do think they're you know, lacking depth at certain positions based upon some of the assets that they had to give up last year in order to win that Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. What do you uh, what do you make of the Vancouver Canucks right now? It's one of the the markets we're on right now, and listen, uh, a lot of this has revolved around you know the play of JT Miller, um, the situation with Bo Horvat, uh, the injuries, the dynamic between Rutherford and Boudreaux. Like when you look at, I mean, you've been part of noisy teams, you've been part of quiet teams. It seems as if from the Vancouver perspective, I mean, this gift is this team has kind of been a gift to sports talk radio for one. And I don't think that that's good for the organization. Yeah. I don't think that's good for players. But this has been the noisiest team around the NHL all season. What do you make of the Canucks right now? Yeah, the, it's kind of do something time now, right? I mean, there's been so much conversation, and they've been really slow as far as you know making the move that seems like it's going to happen, and and removing you know Bruce Boudreaux from his job. Not that. I think Bruce deserves that, but the noise has been around from the start of the season. So whether they're waiting to find the right guy to replace him, um, I think if I was playing on a team like that, uh, I would not be trusting that the guy behind the bench was going to be there the next day. And I don't think that works. So I, I think when there's question marks about the person that's been put in charge of making decisions within a game, you know, within a practice, within who plays and who doesn't and and how he's going to fix things is not on stable ground. I think you're better off just making the move and bringing someone else in before it turns disastrous. So the Horvat situation, mm-hmm. I mean, what an incredible season he has had. There's going to be teams lined up to get oh. him. Uh, he is a valuable asset right now, more valuable than he's ever been in his career. And, you know, there's a few teams that are going to be slobbering over themselves to get him in the fold because he looks like one of those guys that can put you above some of the teams that you're competing with and put you in a position to win a Stanley Cup if you believe that you're one of those teams. So uh, that's an asset that I would Mm. uh, obviously look to move. And I don't think you're ever going to get more than you're going to get for him in the next little while. You want to talk about timing? I mean, Bo Horvat's timing here is, I mean, he's trending to 60 goals. Like, I don't think he ends up at 60 goals, but that's the way he's trending right now. Like, it really is. Uh, if, if everything in life is timing, whether it's jobs or performance or your personal life, man, Bo Horvat, as awkward as this may be, has really nailed the timing. And if we can stay on Horvat for one second here, Keith, I, I always look at him and I say, first of all, he's the captain. Second of all, they prioritize the JT Miller signing over Horvat. He's had, you know, uh, his, you know, uh, uh, director of hockey operations, Jim Rutherford, you know, to your point, publicly questioning the decisions of the head coach and insisting the team needs more structure, essentially, you know, undermining his coach at, at every turn, whenever there's a microphone that goes on. 
Um, and he's had to go through all of this and he's without contract. Like the fact that he's performing as well as he is right now, considering everything that's working against Bo Horvat, it's got to be one of the best stories in the NHL, Jonesy. Yeah, it is. And to bet on yourself and to, you know, ride your contract out to the end and then to back it up with a career year. And when you watch him, I know like the shooting percentage is incredibly high. I know it's not what has normally been the case for Bo Horvat, but he looks like he's going to score every time he steps on the ice. He just looks better. He just looks like he is a player that's ready to take a step to moving into being a star player in the National Hockey League, where normally I viewed him as a reliable, you know, steady player that could contribute offensively, but, you know, did a nice job at playing a complete game. It's a lot different now. And when you watch him, you just have to feel Mm. good for a player that took a chance on himself and has performed at an extremely high level all season long. And uh, I don't think he's going to be slowing down anytime soon. He just, he's got that look in his eyes. So that's a very determined hockey player that's playing at an extremely high level. Yeah. And it's not new either. I think there's a lot of us that expected, and I know that Doug Armstrong has said that, you know, there are 72 players uh, that would have been on the team last year at the, at the Olympics uh, as a way to cover himself. But I, I think that there was a legitimate shot that Bo Horvat was going to be on Team Canada uh, last season if they would have ended up going to the Olympics. Let, let me ask you about Philadelphia. So Philadelphia, to me, remains one of the more fascinating teams in the NHL. We know that, you know, the alumni is very strong there and still has a big voice. Um, and Chuck Fletcher is a, a longtime and seasoned general manager, and they have one of the more headline-making coaches in the history of the game and John Tortorella. There are no shortages of talented players there. There is a very injured Sean Couturier, and we wonder about his future and we wonder about the direction of the team and things like rebuilds, and that's something that Philadelphia has never done. And this is, you know, I'm 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 reading the uh, Alan Bass book on on Ed Snyder right now, and you know the the vibe of we never take a step backwards deliberately under Ed Snyder still seems to continue today. Whereas a lot of fans are screaming for rebuilds and take a slight step back, and there's gold in the hills in the draft this year. Philadelphia just seems to be refusing to do it. And now they've won four games in a row. Really happy about Kevin Hayes getting uh, getting named to the All-Star team. Um, and three points last night, by the way, for, for Kevin Hayes. And he references his brother countless times uh, when he got the, uh, the nod to go to the All-Star game. Keith Jones, how do you see the Philadelphia Flyers right now? Well, they're a lot better than they were last year, and I don't know that that's what the fans wanted. I mean, bringing John Tortorella in here has instantly made the Flyers a much more competitive team. And, you know, even if you look, Jeff, over the last 15 games prior to, you know, putting the four wins together, they were in every game against every opponent. And you're talking some good teams. Toronto, they lost by one goal. Carolina. They lost by one. They battled back against them. They, I think it was like, I want to say, 15 games in a row where with five minutes left in the third period, they'd been tied or, or within one goal uh, before a couple slipped away mm-hmm. with some empty netters against them. Last year wasn't like that. Last year they lost 7-2. to two. They lost 8-1. to one. They lost, I think, nine goals yeah. against them one game. They looked like a team that was disinterested. And... 
Uh, Torts has done a really good job of maximizing some of his veteran players, like Travis Konechny, who's just been off the charts good for the team, and putting a certain competitive edge into the team that they didn't have. They defend better. They work every shift. They roll four lines. They play 6D. They have gotten good goaltending when necessary. And the problem is they're not going to make the playoffs, and they're going to be in the middle, much like you were talking about with Nashville. And the fans wanted yeah. them to really drop back and, you know, get in the Connor Bedard conversation. They're, they're not going to be there. They're, they won't be in that conversation because John Tortorella won't let them. And some of the younger players, which I think is surprising to people, he has played and played through mistakes and learning. And he's looked at players like Owen Tippett and saw, you know, some real positive signs. Morgan Frost all of a sudden is picking up, you know, four-point games like he did last night. And, uh, you know, John doesn't get enough credit for what he's done with some of the younger guys here that a lot of fans have kind of given up on and didn't think had the potential to turn into, you know, regular National Hockey League players. There's always the bump, right, when you bring in John Tortorella. You get that you get that winning bump right away. But I, I'm with you. There are a lot of fans that are saying, like, look, at least give us a shot at Connor Bedard or Leo Carlson or Adam Fantilli or something like that. Um, I want to we'll close on this one. We'll, we'll let you get on with your day. Is there a team out there that either intrigues or perplexes or confuses you? I mean, it, it, for me, it might be the Pittsburgh Penguins, and we've now lost six in a row. They lost seven in a row earlier on this season, but then at times they look like they're absolute world beaters. I know that injuries are uh, certainly an issue with Pittsburgh right now, but is, is there a team that you're you're having a hard time just sort of grasping here, getting an idea of who they are, Jonesy? Well, I'll give you one, and it's kind of it's a team I used to play for in the Washington Capitals. I, I was not sure what to expect. Mm from the Capitals this year, and all of a sudden, they're winning on a regular basis. So Vetchkin continues to, you know, light it up, and Tom Wilson is lurking. I mean, it's it's just been interesting to watch the job that Peter Laviolette has done with that team. I mean, it's like, all right, and when do the Capitals drop back like the Penguins kind of are right now? And those two teams have been so interesting since both Ovechkin and Crosby arrived. And the fact that they've continued yeah. to put teams on the ice that you know have made the playoffs have you know they've both won stanley cups pittsburgh a few more than washington but uh they're they are a team that is surprisingly good to me and have been very consistent lately um so that would be one that jumps off the page i'm, I'm sure the caps aren't talked about a whole lot with the exception of what ovechkin's doing but as a team they played very well uh, interesting squad, and outside of Carlson, they have no defenseman signed for next season. It will be a uh, an interesting yeah. time to see what what Brian McClellan here does with uh, the squad. But I, I'm with you. I have uh, from game to game, I have no idea what to expect uh, from the Washington Capitals. Jonesy, always good, always full value, much appreciated as always. Uh, continued success, happy New Year, health and happiness to you and your family, and we'll we'll catch up soon. Yeah, right back at you, Jeff. Thanks again for having me on. Take care, buddy. There he is, the great Keith Jones, uh, dropping by the podcast by the uh, broadcast today. Um, that's normally the Elliot spot. Elliot's a little under the weather. We didn't do the podcast together yesterday. Put out an interview podcast with Jordan Eberly. Um, so get well soon, Elliot Friedman. Uh, again, coming up on the program a little bit later on, Shannon Goldman. We'll do the um, 
how should we say it, the, uh, the hope meter rankings, the concern meter rankings as well. Which teams are you most concerned about? Which teams are you most hopeful about? And maybe, and we sort of hinted at this here a little bit with uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins specifically, throw the Flyers in that mix and maybe throw the Vancouver Canucks. Which teams confuse you? More than uh, more than any of them as well. But joining me next to talk about prospects and some of the kids we just saw at the World Juniors is Cam Robinson from Elite Prospects. Um, back-to-back gold for Team Canada. And so what now happens to players like Thomas Millich, the netminder? Who turned heads outside of Team Canada, whether it's Czechia, whether it's Slovakia, whether it is Sweden, Finland, etc., Switzerland? Uh, we'll get the uh, the four one one the five 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 one two one two from Cam Robinson from Elite Prospects in a couple of moments. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet three sixty and Sportsnet Now. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know, it always happens around this time of year. Uh, there's a lot of young hockey players, a lot of prospects through the World Junior Hockey Championships that get on everybody's radar. I was making the point off the top of the show today, Connor Bedard did not sneak up on any scouts. There's no one that follows either the Western Hockey League or any scouts that follow, you know, prospects going back to when they're, you know, 14, 15 years old who just discovered players like Connor Bedard. But what the WJC tends to do is get players on casual fans' maps. So now everybody knows how good a player like Connor Bedard is. Someone who's known how good Connor Bedard is and has been for a number of years is Cam Robinson, who works for Elite Prospects, who joins me now. Cam, how are you today, sir? I'm doing well, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm well. We'll start with the big name, and then I want to drill down to a, to a few more here. But, I mean, you've watched this tournament for a number of years. You've seen prospects come and prospects go, and some are can't miss, and some are shoe-ins, and some are fool's gold, etc. When you see Connor Bedard, not just in this two-week slice of his career, but going back to when you first started to watch Connor Bedard, like, what goes through your mind, and are there any players you compare him to? And not just maybe the player, but the person as well, like the whole... Connor Bedard, the player, the vibe, the person, the family, the whole unit, all of it. I say Connor Bedard, Cam, what do you say? Uh, I say, you know, exceptional. And uh, it, fits the, it fits the box because he was the first ever exceptional status kid in the WHL. Um, he is a tremendous, tremendous talent. And, and like you said, if, if anyone's been paying attention to what he's done in the WHL the last couple of years, even in the bubble as a 15-year-old, um, this performance, maybe was a little more than we could have expected, uh, but was not out of the realm of possibility at all. Before the event, I predicted him to be the MVP, to be the top forward, to lead Canada in scoring, and to hopefully lead them to gold, which he did. Um, but to, you know, push for, you know, to break the Canadian records, to push for the all-time mark as a 17-year-old, as a young 17-year-old, um, and the manner in which he did it, too, is, you know, <laughs> jaw-dropping at times, too. So he's a complete package. Um, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, is he the next Connor McDavid? Um, he's not Connor McDavid. He's, he doesn't have the size. He doesn't have the same electric speed that Connor McDavid has. But, um, you know, the, the comparison I like to say is he's kind of like Patrick Kane with Austin Matthews' shot. 
Um, so if you if you put a little hybrid of those two players together, you can imagine it's going to be pretty spectacular pretty when he starts it. Yeah, when he hits his full stride of the NHL. It's uh, it's pretty good. And you know, I, I I go back to that first game, and you know, Elliot and I have wondered whether there was uh, a bet, and we'll we'll ask someone this one somewhere down the road whether there was a bet amongst players to see who could do the first Michigan in the tournament, uh, if that was ever a thing in the Team Canada dressing room. But that first game against Czechia and you know the lines were changed after the the first game and Dylan Gunther you know pops up uh, on that line with Shane Wright and Brennan Othman um you watch Connor Bedard in that first game and he looked a lot different than he did the rest of the tournament like the rest of the tournament he's distributing the puck uh he's coming back hard like he's tracking back hard didn't see that in the first game I don't know whether that's something that got on your radar. I know a lot of people commented on it and kind of went like, that didn't look or feel like a Connor Bedard game. But then everything changed once they put him on that line with uh, with Stankoven. Uh, what did you make of Connor Bedard in the first game against Czechia? You know, I think I think it was not just Connor Bedard. It was a lot of them that were playing a, a little too individually. You know, they were trying to do the skill game and, and looking to blow a team out of the water and, like you were saying, try the lacrosse goals and. Um, you know, he still scored a gorgeous goal, um, but it was more reminiscent of his game as a draft minus one or a draft minus two, where it was he knew what he was going to do out there and everybody else knew, and it was going to be shoot the puck. Um, he was going to dangle, and then he was going to let it go. And this year, he's really elevated his distribution game with the Regina Pats. Even though they're not a great team and he doesn't have a ton to work with, he's really elevated the players around him with his passing game. He still has the hands, so he can make that move and set up some space before distributing it. And that's what we saw happen, bleed into his game more after that first game. Um, I really, really like the combination with Stankoven and Joshua Waugh uh, next to him because Waugh didn't even try to transport the puck at all. He's like, get it off my stick and give it to Stankoven, give it to Bedard, and then I'm going to fly and I'm going to do some of the dirty work. <laughs> um, and it was the perfect combination yeah. for them. They worked beautifully, right? So, um, yeah, it was great to see that evolution in his game in such a microcosm of the, the short tournament too and just illustrates how intelligent he is that he recognized, hey, this is a flaw. Let's shift it up. We'll get going here. Okay, so I just got a text from uh, this is an ex NHLer who's listening right now who says Bedard's a cross between DeBrinket and Crosby. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, Crosby, the ultimate grinder. Um, you know, I, I could see a bit of it. I could see a bit of it for sure. DeBrinket with the goal scoring for sure. Um, I honestly think that Bedard has a better shot than DeBrinket does, you know, already. Um, I, I think that yeah. it's, it's Austin Matthews and Connor Bedard for the best wrist shots in the world, that drag and release shot. Um, and to do it at his size, too, you know, Matthews is, is hanging around 210, 215 sort of thing and, and moving six foot three around. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, he doesn't get enough credit, Bedard, for how, how much jam he has in his game. Um, you know, we heard Timo Nemec ahead of the quarterfinals, and they were saying, you know, we're going to play him physically. Like, this is how you shut him down as you play him physically. And that's what every team thinks. He has pushback. He has a little bit of snarl. He has some attitude when he gets in front of the net. He doesn't slow down. He'll go hard to the crease. Um, so I, I think there is a bit of that Crosby mentality. It's like, that's my puck, and I'm going to get it back if I don't have it. So I, I could see that little uh, hybrid combination, too. When you look at some of the other draft eligibles, whether it's Carlson or Fantilli, um, Dalibar Dvorsky, like who, who jumped out to you and distinguished themselves? I really enjoyed Leo Carlson's game. I have all season long. He's such a big body. He's got such great hands. He's he's not the fastest skater out there, but he has good speed, but he's just so strong on his skates. Um, when he wants to go to the net, he's going to the net, and he's getting there with purpose. 
uh, and he's threatening with it too. I thought he elevated his game in the medal rounds, which is what you want to see. You know, another kid, a 17-year-old, playing a mm. prominent role on a medal contender. I was really, really impressed with his game. Um, Fantilli, you know, I thought he was, you know, suffered a little bit for the same thing that Bedard did in that first game where they were trying to do too much. He was, you know, coming in with a lot of expectations, playing in the top six, getting some power play look, and he's like, I got to put up some points. Um, and it wasn't working. It, it, that style wasn't working for him at this event. When he got moved down to the fourth line, I thought his game took off completely. He was quietly very, very good as a two-way player playing that energy north-south game, getting in on pucks, back-checking, uh-huh. forward-checking. Um, you know, I think that that's a, a really great sign for his ability to translate to the NHL next season, probably in like a, you know, a third or fourth line role as these 18 year old kids will do. Um, and I'll mention one more too, is, is Edward Chalet, who I thought had a really difficult round Robin, uh, for Czechia. Yeah. He, he wasn't creating his skill level is super, super high, but he just wasn't showing off. And then as we got into the metal rounds, his game elevated, elevated, you know, he came oh so close to, to, popping a couple there in the gold medal game. He rang the post, and then it got banged in by Coolidge, so he, he grabbed the helper on that one. I was, I was impressed with this game, and he's a, he's a bit of an enigmatic player where he has so much skill, but sometimes the work rate just isn't there for him. So uh, those are some standout ones for me, too. I really like Gavin Brindley's game, too, for the American. Um, just, a, just a water bug dude yeah. who just he's all over the place, right? And he's got, he's got some skill. He's got some jam. He, he's, he's got a good head on his shoulders. So another one that I think uh, had a really strong tournament. I'll say one more, actually, here. Is, uh, is Reinbacher sure. for Austria. Big, smooth defenseman. He, he's got some polish that needs to, to get worked out, but, man, there's a lot of upside in this kid. Great offensively, great defensively, mm-hmm. great in transition um, for a, a, a really poor team at this event, too. I think he showed very, very well as a young player. So, Cam, last Saturday before Hockey Night, just in the process of, of making the various calls, I was talking to one team, and we were talking about the draft, and I said, how does it work for you? I mean, right now, I know it's you know January and lists aren't even close to being final. And he said to me, we look at it like this. There's Connor Bedard and then a big drop-off. And then Leo Carlson and then another drop-off. And then Fantilli slash Mitchkoff. What do you think of that? I don't think it's outrageous by any means. Uh, I, I think it's Connor Bedard and a big drop-off. And then I think that Carlson and Fantilli are closer uh, closer apart uh, together than they are apart. Um, but I wouldn't have any problem with, with someone putting Fantilli in a tier below Carlson because, you know, what he's been doing against men in the SHL this season has been excellent. Like, the points were yep. coming free-flowing early on the season, and that was never going to continue. He wasn't going to put up a point a game this year. That just doesn't happen as a 17-year-old. But he still has those those nuances to his game, the smart two-way play, um, plays down the middle, has the size, has the skill. Um, so if, if a team put him uh, a number two of the bullet, I wouldn't blink an eye at it. I do think Fantilli's a very, very good player. Maybe doesn't have the elite offensive upside, um, despite putting up such huge numbers in the NCAA this season. He's playing on a stack team, too, which really helps. Um, but, but those guys, yeah. I think, are the clear top three. And then you got to start talking about Mishkov with his electric skill. But all the kind of question marks that are added on to the periphery of his uh, of his game and his situation. That's going to be the most interesting name at the draft. Um, Matt Famichkov, where he goes, which team... I don't want to say gamble because the player is not a gamble, but getting him out and to the NHL uh, will be considered a gamble. Um, so there's another name, and this is one... Like, every year at the draft, there's one player that you say, there's no denying the skill... But, and once again, there's Brad Lambert with Finland. And in the dying moments, in absolute crunch time, he's not on the ice. Um, He's a first-round draft pick of the Winnipeg Jets. He's played with the Manitoba Moose of the AHL this season. 
And I'm of the belief that by the end of the weekend, he will be with the Seattle Thunderbirds of the Western Hockey League, which, you know, just so you talk about stacked teams, just happened to be maybe the most stacked team in the entire CHL, number one team, like ranked number one this week by, by CHL rankings. What did you make of Brad Lambert's tournament? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, frustrating, I would say. Um, but you know, if if you've been watching Brad Lambert, you, you you've kind of gotten used to it now. Is that not knowing which version of him is going to show up? Um, you know, at last last year's event, the one that got canceled, he was excellent in those first two games. Like he was setting the world on fire, and you're like, yeah. oh my goodness, here comes the draft stock. <clears throat> excuse me again. <clears throat> and uh, and then he goes and and he gets canceled, and then goes to the August event, and he and he stunk. He wasn't good at all. Um, so, you know, here we are again coming in. Expectations are high. He's going to play a big role for Finland. Finland is a team that, you know, had a, a legitimate chance to medal, and he was a no-show. Um, it, it's, it's disappointing because that's, that's just what he's become known for now is he has such great speed. He has great hands. The instincts to create offense are all there, but the mind to put it all together on a consistent basis or the focus or whatever it is, um, it just hasn't come together for him yet. So, uh, you know, if he ends up in Seattle, uh, you know, sign me up. Uh, that would be a lot of fun to have him jumping into the West, um, <laughs> especially on that team, uh, making a deep run. They'd be, they'd be pushing yeah. Kamloops, you know, who's going to be at the Mem Cup anyway. So a couple Western teams could end up there together or, or will end up there together. Um, so so that would be a lot of fun. And I think that that could be great for him to have that opportunity just to play against a bunch of teenagers and find some consistency in his game and to really hopefully light the world on fire so I think that that would be great for him, um, and it would be uh, it'd be pretty good for the Winnipeg Jets too. Okay, a couple of more here. I got about three minutes left with you, Cam. I just want to sort of fire a couple names at you. Um, Thomas Millich, uh, Net Miner. Well, he's with Seattle, so there you go. We're sticking with the Seattle theme here. Uh, undrafted twice. He's gone through two drafts and nothing. What happens with Thomas Millich here? Like from a from a scout's point of view, from an NHL team's point of view. I know it's only I know it's an only only two week slice of someone's career, and I know the size is an issue. And I look at that second goal by Czechia yesterday, and I say, "E, that's a small goalie goal because if it's a bigger goalie, that left pad is out there, and we're not going to overtime at all." What happens with Thomas Milic now? Yeah, um, I uh, I actually spoke to to someone on the team side, a, a goaltender guru, if you will, um, and they said he probably should have been picked. He should have, he probably should have had a flyer taken on him one of these one of these last two years. Um, it didn't happen, and and most right. likely because of the size, right? It's it's if you are not six foot two or above, you better be electric post to post. Um, you better keep those shoulders up and 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 really stand out as as a smaller goaltender. But I think that you know a showing like this high pressure situation it's not like he had the 2010 olympic defense in front of him either he was he was standing tall and making big saves when he needed to um obviously you know he will have to to beat the odds at his size but i do think that that come draft day um this uh this june in nashville that there's a there's a decent chance that he'll hear his name called on the second day and, and a team taking a little swing on him because you know like you said he's been good he's been good for the thunderbirds um you know he was good last season he was good in the playoffs last season he's been he's put up stronger numbers than benjamin goodrow did in the ohl so which is why i was like you know open the door for him especially a north band kid and i'm from bc I, I was rooting for him and it was excellent to see him a really great yeah. story um so i hope he does i hope a team does take a swing on him and and gives him a chance to develop and, and see what happens 
You know, another player that really popped every time I watched was David Juracek. He's a first-round draft pick of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, I got about 30 seconds, Cam. Can you give me and our listeners and viewers a hot 30 on David Juracek, the defenseman? No, the the CBJ did very, very well nabbing him and Denton McKaychuk in the first round there yesterday, or last year. He's excellent. He's so, so good. Yep. He's so strong. He's so smart. He's mobile. He's got the big shot. Um, I love him. I think he's got number one defensive upside. Um, we at EP Rinkside, we ranked him very, very high. We had him in our top five all season long, even at size number two last year. So, yeah, big fan of David Jurasek, and, and I love to see him in a sprint situation like this really change his game from the AHL as a teenager and just step up and be the man for Czechia. Absolutely. Listen, this is always good. Uh, Cam, thanks as always for, oh, you know what? One, one more thing really quick. I got about, now I have like, I'm told a real 30 seconds with you. What did you make of Shane Wright through all of this? Like this has been such a, a bizarre year going back to the draft and falling to four and Seattle and the scratches and the conditioning stints and finding it with, uh, with the firebird. Like, and getting to the juniors and captaining the team. What did you make of Shane Wright through this tournament? I thought he was very good. You know, I know the expectations were super high. Him and Bedard were the guys that everyone was focusing on, hoping they were, he was going to put up huge numbers. I'm sure Seattle was hoping so. Um, he didn't put up the monster numbers, but he played a very strong two-way game, highly intelligent. He was the beating heart of that team, I think, too. He kept it calm and cool when they are down 2 nothing mm. to the Americans. You know, he scored that filthy goal last night, and then he just goes ice cold with the no-selly yeah. celebration, right? Like, I love that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then and then you That's get to see cool. the personality come out after the game when he comes up to Bedard during the interview, and he's cheering, and he's hooting, and he's hollering. Um, so I really, really like this game. He stepped up when he needed to. Um, the gold medal game was by far his best game of the tournament. He led them. I, I love Shane Wright. I think he's going to be an excellent two-way player for the crack, and I think him getting sent back to junior is the right decision, too. We'll see where his, his rights get dealt here, but uh, wherever he goes, he'll make a strong run for the OHL title, and uh, hopefully we see him at the Memorial Cup, too. Barry, Ottawa, Peterborough. It sounds like that's uh, how we're handicapping it. Uh, Cam, as always, thanks, pal. You be well. You as well. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Cam Robinson from Elite Prospects. I've got a hustle. Hour two is coming up. Shannon Goldman on the disappointment meter, the hope meter, and the confused meter around the NHL. Keep it here. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Glad to have you aboard today. And uh, don't forget, as always, Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday kicks off with the pregame, 6.30 Eastern. Um, and then the puck drops just after 7 in three locations, Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa. Uh, it's the Red Wings facing off against the Maple Leafs. Uh, Chris Cuthbert, Craig Simpson, Kyle Bukowskis handling the affairs there. Also the St. Louis Blues and the Montreal Canadiens. John Bartlett, Sam Cosentino, Carolyn Cameron working ringside. The Seattle Kraken take on the Ottawa Senators as well. Mike Luck, a boy, play-by-play voice of the Oshawa Generals, uh, is also working hockey night alongside Gary Galley, Sean McKenzie as well. And then the late cap game, the late one, the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, are they going to make the playoffs? Uh, are facing off against the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, are they going to make the playoffs too? 
Hunter Ryan Singh, Louis DeBrusque, and Scott Oak with that one. Okay, so that's Hockey Night tomorrow. Uh, meanwhile, let's bring in Shannon Goldman from the Too Many Men podcast and The Athletic as well. And a new homeowner we should throw into the mix as well. Hello, Shanna. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I am well. How is it owning a home? It's a bit exhausting, uh, but we'll get there. It, it'll be nice <laughs> soon and comfortable, and then I can like... I can sit down in the house officially, so we have progress. Excellent. How much, uh, how much, how much, like, because I'm always interested in people that do what you do, and that is watch a million games a night. When you buy, this may sound like a frivolous question, but here I go. (laughs) When you buy a new home, you and your partner, Rich, when you buy a new home, how much when you're walking through it do you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to need this room to watch games? So that was a priority. Um, I had a plan. I wanted two like 60 or 65 inch TVs (laughs) mounted side by side. I wanted them to be the exact same type of TV. So there's no quality difference because I can't stand that. Um, And everybody told me it was a bad person. Oh, yeah. If they're side by side. Yes. I don't care if they're (laughs) not the highest end, but they need to be the same. And everyone thought you should do, you know, a different formation, a different setup. This is, you know, a bad idea. And yesterday, Every house we looked at, though, I was like, I need this wall. I need it to be in the living room, a wall, a certain size, and I was nitpicky. So yesterday we actually mounted them, and as we're doing it, like, you know, I think there's a better idea. And I get them right, and I angle them, and everyone sat on the couch like, this was brilliant. I'm like, I know. I know. It's the highlight of the house. Well, listen, I'm happy for you guys. And uh, I, I knew that at the end of it, there was going to be a very comfy place for you to watch the uh, the million games that you do pretty much uh, pretty much every single night. I don't know if you paid much attention to the uh, to the World Juniors. Um, congratulations, Canada, Czechia, USA. Those are your three medalists. Um, but if so, did you come out of it with any thoughts, either casual or hardcore? I think this was the year I was like the worst at sticking with it. I watched it casually as I was doing other things, but I wasn't as like dialed in um because of everything going on but the takeaway was Connor Bedard I think he has to be on how skilled he is and you know how how interesting it's going to be to see if he's the impact player we expect because there have been in recent years first overall picks that aren't hitting the mark as soon as we'd expect because when you're first overall pick it's not just that you have a high ceiling it's that you're going to hit that ceiling sooner Players like Jack Hughes struggled, and obviously Slavkovsky's, you know, rookie year isn't perfect, and Lafreniere didn't have an ideal first year after years of being spoiled with the Austin Matthews of the world and the Connor McDavid, so they set the bar. <laughs> and Bedard, we don't hear the same generational comments as much as the Matthews and, you know, especially McDavid's, and rightfully so, and he's not a Sidney Crosby. But it is interesting because he does project more highly than some recent drafts have, you know, first overall picks. So can he be that impact player, you know, some some would say yeah off the bat he should be and it should be down the middle and if not i'd be interested to see if he starts a minute on wing just to you know find his footing and then go back to the middle wouldn't be the first time i mean it makes a lot of sense less responsibility when you're when you're stepping in as a winger than um uh than you know uh, than as a center you know one of the players that i think really has done himself and and good on the on the blue jackets for following this model of development is david juracek who was their first-round pick last year, defenseman, has spent a lot of time in Cleveland, and they sent him to the World Juniors. It doesn't sound like there's any... He's going to be a top-pairing defenseman for Columbus for a long, long time, uh, and they are in no hurry to rush this guy. And, I, and I'm curious, and I want to do the... 
both the the concern meter and the hope meter, and I want to get to teams like Columbus and and see where you fit them. Maybe they're in that we don't know what they are range for you, Shana. But the one thing that is is really interesting about your work is it's not just well, I shouldn't say it's not just opinion based because it's opinion based, but you have facts to to to, to back it up. Like the way that you measure the game is very scientific and, and mathematical. We've talked about this before. The one thing that I'm curious about here as well, when we measure events in hockey, we think of <laughs> goals and zone entries. And I know you're a big fan of, you know, uh, you know, pre-shot movement and the railroad slot line passes, these types of things. But when you watch Los Angeles and Boston last night, and you see Trent Frederick and Brendan Lemieux throw down the way they did, and that was a good long one as well. Like that was a, oof, that was an old school fight. Do you look at it and wonder? I wonder what the expected punches per sixty was <laughs> in a fight like that. Is, does your does your geekiness extend to hockey fights, Shana Goldman? It does not generally. I don't. But you know, there's certain players. You know, like a Curtis McDermott. Like you know, it's going to be a longer fight, a harder fight. And, you know, if we start tracking expected punches, I just like to make a request that's different (laughs) from how the NHL does things. Because in the NHL, if you block a shot, it's measured from where the uh, shot is blocked, not where the shot's taken. So just, and that's why it's outside of our expected goal models. We can't include that information if we don't know where the shot came from. For an expected punch, I think Mm -hmm. maybe where the block was made is actually important to track in this case, but I think we need it where did the punch start and where was the block made to really figure out who's the best defensive fighter. You know, there's uh, there have been some great ones. You know who is one of the, maybe the best defensive fighter that I, that I ever saw? Um, the late great Rick Rippon. Like if you look at a lot of a lot of his, like he actually fought. Like there have been players that have fought like boxers before. Maybe and I'm going way back for this one, and I've got tons of old video on him too. I can speak with some authority on it. But Orlin Curtinback would square up like a boxer, and he like wouldn't grab on. He would like fight as if he was boxing. And, you know, he did this with a number of teams, the Maple Leafs, uh, certainly, and with the Vancouver Canucks. He was the team's first captain. Um, and Rick Rippon, former Vancouver Canuck as well, like with the way that he would defend punches was almost as impressive as how he would dole it out as well. I submit it all tongue-in-cheek. Just the idea of having expected <laughs> punches per 60. Maybe it's just because I'm really immature, Shana, and just things like that make me giggle. You're just a nerd, a secret nerd. Along. Oh, spe- you know... Yeah, I am secret nerd. Trust me, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm closer to you than anyone else. You know, something interesting. Speaking of that game as well, we've talked a lot about hockey being everywhere, and something really interesting happened in that game yesterday. And uh, a guy by the name of Doyle Woods threw this tweet out yesterday, and I checked it, and it's bang on. Do you know what happened in that L.A. Boston game last night for the first time ever in the history of the NHL? Period. There was something historic in that game? There was very historic, certainly to people from this state. Was there, oh, was there a player actually from California maybe that was playing in the game? No. No, for the first time ever, two goalies from Alaska faced each other. Oh, my God. Phoenix Copley (laughs) and Jeremy Swayman. For the first time ever, two Alaskan goaltenders faced off against one another. The first, first and last all time. Alaska goalie <laughs> duel. 
<laughs> I don't know. They may play together again. Phoenix Copley is like just flat out saved LA's season. And yeah. I'm a big Jeremy Swayman guy. We had great conversation in uh, uh, in in Vegas at the uh, at the NHL Players Tour when he talked about how part of his training was actually ballet training, and it helped him immensely as a goaltender. I I like both these guys, and so I don't know. I woke up this morning to that one. I'm like, ooh, that's a good one. I'll drop that on Goldman and see how she reacts. Uh, <laughs> Bruins win five two over the LA Kings in the battle of Alaskan goaltenders. Uh, okay, to business. So here's what I want I want to do with you today. So the concern meter and the hope meter and the question mark meter. Uh, I'm going to spit out some teams here at you, and you let me know whether you think they are under the banner of concern, hope, or question mark. We don't know what to do with these teams. We'll start with a team that we just saw at the Winter Classic, not the team that won, but the team that lost. Pittsburgh Penguins. They they are one of the most inconsistent teams this season. It's so it's so odd the streaking in both directions that they're going this year. I think that they have yeah. the right core in place. You know, I can't knock that. But I do think I think they need a little work on the blue line, honestly. And I think that John Marino is someone that they could have used uh, a little bit more. Personally, you know, I know he kind of got stagnant there, but I think that mm-hmm. someone of that ilk still fits in. And I almost wonder if like one more middle six forward with just a little more pop, a little more ability off the cycle is what stands out to me. Like I would, I would want one more forward who can really create scoring chances and help sustain offensive pressure. I feel like that would help to have below that top line. You know, the Penguins are, they they are really, the the point that I've always made about the Pittsburgh Penguins is super elite, but if they take the foot off the pedal even a little bit, it all falls apart. Like, have you ever heard the, um, have you ever heard the saying, uh, I follow the bicycle theory in my life, that as long as you keep pedaling, you won't fall off? Like, that's kind of like how I see the Pittsburgh Penguins. What if you put your foot down? What if you just put your foot down? (laughs) No, because the minute you start coasting... <laughs> no, I'm talking about like moving with the bike, like getting somewhere. The minute the Pittsburgh Penguins decide to stop pedaling, the whole thing kind of falls apart. Like to me, they are the ultimate bicycle theory team. But when they're pedaling, oh man, they look elite. Like world beaters, like how does this team not win the Stanley Cup every year? But the yeah. minute they stop pedaling and just start coasting, the whole thing crumbles. Yeah, I agree with that. And you can kind of see it too. Like it's like their four check starts to sag and everything falls apart. And like they do have elite skill and elite skill can flip a game on its head in seconds. But, you know, you can't perfectly rely on that. Even if it is one of the best in the world still in Sidney Crosby, you can't only rest on that. They, They need a little bit more. And it does feel like Mike Sullivan's been good at adjusting this team, but that, you know, they just need to shake things up a little bit. Like this has been a group that's been together a long time. Everyone has a lot of tape on them too to try to pinpoint their weaknesses, and I think teams are getting smarter in how they do that. Hmm, that's a that is a really excellent point. And I think there's a lot of questions about you know what's happening. Brian Dumoulin is not having a season that we've you know expected out of Brian Dumoulin or come accustomed to Brian Dumoulin. Although Mark Friedman is having a really nice year, it seems as well. Okay, uh, I asked Keith Jones this in the first hour. I'm going to ask Shana Goldman this now in the second hour. The Colorado Avalanche. Like, I generally look at teams like that and say they're fine over 82 games. They'll figure it out. It'll sort itself out. I don't know where they fit into the picture, but I see them making the playoffs. And Keith Jones kind of said, yeah, I don't know about that. I'm kind of concerned 
uh, about the Colorado avalanche. Are they concern meter territory for you? No, not yet. I, I think it's that's a spicy take, and I respect it, but um, no, they're not yet. Because I think the thing is, we know they haven't been at full strength, and it's tough to honestly evaluate their roster and figure out what do we actually need? What do we actually need to spend assets on? And something Colorado's been really good at is knowing when to spend and how much to spend. There were years that they could have spent more at the deadline to push for the playoffs a little bit longer. They chose not to. They are very particular when they went splashy to make it work and it's paid off for them. You really can't assess what you need if your team is missing key players left, right, and sideways. You don't have Landeskog. You don't have Nutrishkin. We know the second line center position might be a problem. And, you know, Evan Rodriguez is fine. But you need, if you're going to go weaker at the center position, you need high-end wingers. They have them. They haven't seen them yet together. So it's so tough to say, this mm-hmm. is what we need and this is how we fix it. And when when they're not together. So once they start getting this roster a little bit more together, I think then they can really start studying it and go, how do we fix this? You know, this adversity in the beginning is better than adversity at the end. And maybe it can teach them a little bit more like, this is a combination we never would have done if the team was healthy. And now we know these two players are really good together and things like that, or they really don't mesh well. And that's something Colorado's gotten mm-hmm. very good at over the years. Um, you could see it the year they won. They went, oh, let's see where Burakovsky fits and who he can play with in case we have an injury. And oops, they had an injury and they knew where they could put him. It's just tough right now. So I would I would say it's okay because there are struggling teams in the Central that's going to give Colorado more wiggle room, but they really need to start figuring out where the problems are aside from health and how to fix them. Okay, so I've got a clip I want to play you here. All right, so this is from... This is from Keith Yandel earlier on this season. Okay, so at this point, I'm just going to sort of filibuster here so um, so we can get the clip all queued up. So this is when, this is from Keith Yandel, okay, on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. So this is when the New Jersey Devils were 16-3, and okay? Here's what Keith Yandel said on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Let's roll this for Shana. Yeah, uh, well, I'm going to burst your guys' bubble and say no. I don't even think they're going to make the playoffs. What? Wow. I know, what? I know. I hate to say it. I, I like their group, but I just don't. You heard it here. I just don't think they're going to be able to sustain this. What don't you trust? Wow. Goaltending. Uh, Defense and offense? They're yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. They're not part of the fire Lindy crowd. <laughs> yeah. so I can see you out yeah. there. This is a hot take, though. You don't see teams have 12-game winning streaks, and right now they're winning. They could be a 13th straight win. They're leading Edmonton right now miss the playoffs that doesn't yeah. happen very often i know but uh, i just think well like after christmas time it's going to slow down actually maybe after thanksgiving if but, they uh, call you will they be a contender then if they call you and say come sign say, say are we a contender no <laughs> then they will not be a contender <laughs> yeah. Um, all right yeah no i just don't see i just don't see it okay so the new jersey devils <laughs> at that point 16 and 3 were on their way to beating the edmonton oilers and yandel says yeah this team's not making the playoffs <clears throat> do you now agree with them? So a while ago, we had to do something for the athletic uh, grading teams on who we think they're, what we think their playoff status is. Are they a lock? Are they a safe bet? Are they likely a bubble team? So on and so forth. And I didn't put the devils as a lock and they were in the midst of this winning streak. And I got yelled at because I didn't have enough faith in the devils. <laughs> and the thing is, 
I don't think anybody's a lock early in the season. I don't care how good your start is because we know the season can change a million different ways. It's a very long season, arguably too long. And we also know that there's a lot of good teams in the league, especially in the Metropolitan Division. If the Devils make the playoffs, and let's say the Islanders do as well because that's a team, those are two teams that didn't last year. Now you're knocking out two teams that made it. That's not easy to do. For the Devils, the goaltending is not Great. We know that. And they were playing a way that allows average goaltending because they're so good offensively and defensively. And that's great and wonderful. They're a little bit better off the cycle this year and that it's not just run and gun rush base only. That's great. The thing is, everyone was overwhelmed by their speed to start the season. But once other teams really recognize this is the hallmark of their game, they adjust to it. And it's not to say that this isn't a system that you can work but you have to figure out ways to readjust to the rest of the league studying you. And I don't think they've done a good enough job with that yet. And they'll get there. Some of it's, you know, Hmm. been bad luck, but I think it's that not everyone's playing on their heels, playing the devils anymore. They're figuring out different ways to try to slow them down. So the devils just have to get a little bit craftier with it. And, you know, the new assistant coaches definitely seem to help them in the beginning of the year. And it helps us kind of figure out the value of an assistant coach a little bit more to see how much influence they do have on a team's tactics They have good players. They're getting healthier with Palat back, and they're going to have Marino back soon. That'll help them. But I just think it's that they're not as surprising as they were. Teams saw what they did. If you're winning like that, other teams are going to study you even more because now you're an opponent they have to come out for a little bit more than before. Mm -hmm. So you think that Andrew Burnett could be a secret weapon here, speaking of assistant coaches? Yeah, I, I so honestly, I didn't really like him as a head coach in Florida. I don't know if he was ready for it. I don't think he was given a very well-oiled ship, and I don't think he did much to take it to another level and to adjust. You know, it's what we're talking about right now, in especially in the playoffs. How do you get this team to play to your strengths? What do you do differently to get them going? I didn't see that enough from him. Now he's in a different position where he can step back and he doesn't have to be the person manager, but he's more tactical. I'm curious if he can show that, this is something he is good at adjusting and, you know, figuring out what opponents are spotting and finding ways to beat that. I think this is a good test for him to better his skills. And I think this will be helpful for him down the line as a head coach in the future. Okay. You mentioned the Florida Panthers. Now we've been looking at this and saying, Holy smokes, they don't have their first round pick. Uh, you know, the, the Ben Sherratt deal, the, the first round pick is unprotected. The Montreal Canadians are licking their chops here unless the Florida Panthers make the playoffs. Uh, how concerned are you about the Florida Panthers and the playoffs? I'm concerned about the Panthers. I'm legitimately concerned about the Panthers in the beginning of the season. I kind of wrote it off. Like they'll be fine. And then, They're missing Barkov. They're missing Lundell. And I don't think the importance of Lundell was highlighted enough. He is very good offensively, very good at even strength, good on the power play, Mm. and one of the best two-way penalty killers in the league. To lose him and Barkov at the same time was an absolute killer. But there's other things to talk about. The goaltending we know isn't going to be perfect, so they have to be better in front of the goal. The defense is struggling. We knew they were weak personnel-wise. We didn't know how weak Ekblad would look without Uyghur. And the problem is with Forsling stepping up to play with him, your second pair just got weaker because you don't have that same depth that you did before. You know, if Ekblad can't be Mm -hmm. at the number one level they need, that's a huge problem. And then you look at the bottom of their forward group and there's reason to be a little underwhelmed. 
My issue with them, honestly, is that I think they should be leaning into the style that made them successful last year. They were one of the best rush teams. And in the playoffs, they fell apart because they didn't play to their strengths. They tried to slow it down too much. And I think they brought in the wrong players at the deadline, like a Ben Sherratt, who's not going to mesh with that. I understand wanting to be tougher and slower and defensive for the playoffs. But if your specialty is beating players with your speed and offense and resiliency, that's what you lean into. And it feels like they're getting away from that this year when they shouldn't be. They should just figure out a better way to maximize it. I, I just wonder if that's a byproduct of what we saw the Washington Capitals almost do to them in the first round. Like, they just suffocated the Florida Panthers in the neutral zone. Like, it was spectacular watching this. I mean, this is a very, this is a veteran-savvy coach in Peter LaViolette who just said, okay, you guys want to rush? Yeah, we're going to fill the, uh, we're going to we're going to fill the blue line, in between the blue lines here, we're going to fill the neutral zone with mud and yeah. sand. And it's going to feel like you're roller skating down a gravel road. We're going to make blue line to blue line really difficult for you and that's how we're going to try to win this thing we're just going to force turnovers in the, in the neutral zone i wonder if all the decisions have come from a that cat well i mean ultimately they bowed out against the tampa bay lightning but the scare that washington threw into them in the first round because the neutral zone like that was the whole series was that neutral zone and who was going to control it yeah it just it's too reactionary because what i Again, I'm not an NHL head coach, and it's it's easy for me to say this sitting back watching it going, well, this is what I would do. But, I, you know, that's why it's important to have versatility. If you want to play to your strengths and you want to be good off the rush, figure out ways to play a chip and chase game. If someone finds a way to stand you up in the neutral zone, it's like Vegas with Colorado in the playoffs a couple years ago. Vegas had Colorado's number and knew how to slow him down. The next year, Colorado said, we're gonna, we're never going to fall like that again. We know how to, you know, adapt a little bit more when we slow down that way. And, you know, it's interesting because there's players that they have like Carter Verhage. Carter Verhage is one of the best players off the rush in the league. Play him more because he's still managing to get through. And he's someone I don't think gets enough credit. Had they moved him up, even if it's to power play one, which they could still do because he's so good for them, I think it would be a difference maker. And it seems like they're looking in the wrong places sometimes on who should be playing more and what to do to fix things when the answer's right there. Someone you trust to play mm -hmm. first line minutes, maybe play them a little bit more. But it's not just a one-player thing. Now they got to get creative and figure out a way to get creative on a budget. And they had people in their front office who were very good at that. Someone who found Carter Verhage, who found Jonathan March. So, and now it's up to everyone else to kind of follow that path because that's what worked for Florida before. Find a way to make it work again. Uh, from concern, let's focus on hope a little bit. And I really hope because a. Uh, I like the players on this team and B um, considering what they just went through. I really like the city itself. Uh, I really want the Buffalo Sabres to make this at least interesting, like at least to, to, to creep in and threaten one of the established teams for one of those playoff spots. Uh, hope team, Buffalo Sabres, hope team, Absolutely. Buffalo Sabres, your thoughts. Absolutely. Hope team. I think everybody finds a team every year that they like. They're the fun team. They're like everybody's team. They become America's team. It's you have the Carolina Hurricanes with a bunch of jerks. Everyone flocks behind them. You have, you know, last year the Florida Panthers were a team a lot of people were excited about because of the things that they were trying. And Vegas in year one, it was a great story. This year it's the Buffalo Sabres, and a lot of it has to do with Tate Thompson and Darlene, and even more credit to Don Granado for maximizing his team. This is a team that I don't think is a playoff threat yet. 
but I think that they're a team that's on the right path and has the building blocks and they could either just continue moving forward on the path that they're on and, you know, see what noise they can make and I, and get the experience or maybe get a little splashy, not in a rental department, but for a long-term piece, like a Chikrin, like a Timo Meyer, and see where that takes them and build from there. You know, they're, they're building their core and they need the complementary pieces. Um, and that's the right way to do it. It's how Colorado did it. They're not going to go look for in free agency, these core pieces to fix their team like they did a few years ago. So I really like the path that they're on. I'm hopeful for them, not just to mix up the playoffs this year, because I think that would be so fun because they're a team that didn't get enough credit, but just in general, the next couple of years to see where they go now. I'm curious your take on this question. I was, I've been asking people this recently. I'm going to throw you into the mix here too. Um, right now, and I know he just came back and had a big game last night, but right now, who would you rather have on your team? Jack Eichel or Tage Thompson? Oh, that's a tough question. I think that, hmm, Jack Eichel is an elite talent. No doubt in my mind. Absolutely, positively, no doubt in my mind. And I think any team would be lucky to have him. I'm biased in this because I just truly love his game. I love the versatility that Tage Thompson brings, and I love the way he's learning on the fly. I think that he is combining so many skill sets to make him a threat, to be a power forward, to be a finesse player, to be someone good in front of the net, to have a bomb of of a shot on the power play. He's taking all these components that you want that the ideal forward to have, putting them together and just building on it. He's absorbing information and figuring out how to better his game and adjusting on the fly. He's doing everything you want to see from a player that for me, that's infectious. It's not to say Jack Eichel doesn't do the same because he hasn't had to. He was elite from the start. It's totally different. But there's Hmm. something about the way Tage Thompson's building up that I would want any day of the week. Points per dollar. He is number one in the NHL. Michael Bunting, number two. Gabe Velarde, number three. Daniel Sprong, number four. But uh, the big ticket hasn't kicked in yet for Tage Thompson. So the Buffalo Sabres are getting better value dollar per point um, out of Tage Thompson than any player in the NHL. You know, very, um, maybe not so quietly, but my favorite highlight from this past week, Shana, was that Buffalo-Washington game with Tage Thompson scoring the Ovechkin goal from the Ovechkin spot. It's almost like, you know, when you're playing the Oilers in the 80s and someone from the Calgary Flames wants to set up behind Grant Fuhrer. It's like, ooh, that's the Gretzky move. I watched the Tage Thompson (laughs) goal in Washington. I'm like, he just scored the Ovechkin goal in Washington from the OV spot with a slap shot. How perfect was that? It's so perfect, and it's something that he didn't really do a lot last year. Like, he had maybe four slap shot goals the entire year. And this year it is tricky because sometimes one-timers are counted not as slap shots, and sometimes, you know, it's it's this shot tracking I have a million issues with. But this year I think he's up to six (laughs) or seven already, and and you're not even, you know, midway through the year, and he's at that because they figured out this weapon. But I, I honestly, I did like that one. But my favorite highlight from the week was his first assist in that game to uh, Tuck. That pass was beautiful. And it yeah. shows he's not just a goal scorer. Like, don't forget it. He's had some beautiful assists this season. And all the creativity we see in these highlight rear goals, he's putting on display with his assist too. The versatility. We love it. You know who was saying that in the in the offseason about Tage Thompson was Austin Matthews who skated with him. Like, this guy is beast. This guy, you watch what happens this year. with like I know he had a really good year last year, 
But Matthews and his camp, Judd Moldaver, et cetera, are all saying, like, look out. Tage Thompson is ready to just, like, as much as he can, try to take over the NHL. Like, they, they, they all saw it in the, uh, in the offseason. Uh, real quick, Rick Bonus tonight, 2,600 games behind an NHL bench as either an assistant or a head coach. Uh, Winnipeg Jets face off against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, no Victor Hedman in this one. Your thoughts on the Winnipeg Jets as part of the hope meter. There's a lot of hope because they've been pretty good and they're getting a lot of players back. You're going to have Nikolai Ehlers back, who is, in my opinion, their best forward. I want to see him played more. I want top power play usage. I want him to be like leading the charge a little bit more. And Blake Wheeler's <laughs> having such a good season. He's going to be back. So that's huge. And they had the goaltending. You know, they have the goaltending in Hellebuck and now they're giving him more support. Josh Morrissey's, you know, putting up. A ton of points. I think there needs to be a little bit more to sustain it for a full season behind the scoring, but mm. there's a lot of good there. They needed they needed structure because they lost their defensive structure and it started to weigh on their offensive game last year. Like we saw, they were not a good offensive team that they should have been. So that's a team that if they could get one star forward, I'd be really curious what they could do. We shall see. Uh, I want to end on the Seattle Kraken. Uh, saw them beat the Maple Leafs last night. Like this is a, this is a team that, based on what happened last season, expectations were low. Uh, I don't know whether it's a matter of them sneaking up or whether they're just legitimately good. Um, I know I talk way too much about Daniel Sprong, uh, but here we go again. Your thoughts on the <laughs> Seattle Kraken and the Hope Meter? Are, are, are they? You know, early in the season, right? Like they rattle off some wins, and you kind of say. Okay, that's cute, but I'm not going to get too involved with Seattle because of what we saw last season. Somewhere along the way, we've stopped saying, oh, that's cute, every time they rattle off like three or four wins in a row. Uh, Your thoughts on what we're seeing out of Ron Francis's squad? To start the year, the Kraken were a team for me I thought was going to be a little bit more of a wild card, and they were the team I thought was just going to be like a disruptor in the West, just miss the playoffs, but take away key points from their opponents, and they exceeded it in the first half. Hmm. You know, they... They had issues. They were really, really, really good defensively. The goaltending needed to be better, but they needed the goal support, and they were missing that, and they made some really smart moves. They got Oliver Bjorkstrand, who's a good player to have and at a perfect price, you know, for literally nothing. You yeah. bring in Andre Burakovsky, that's a fire good move, sale. too. If, 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 fire yeah. sale prices. Fire sale prices. Benefit. Benefit from other teams' mistakes and, you know, not managing their cap well. And and then you have someone like Matty Beniers, who you know can be a star player, too. If he can develop into the star they expect him to be and the star that he's showing glimpses of, they're going to be in really good shape because right now they're a team that works by committee and it works for them. They have the most unique goal scorers in the league, I think, with, you know, three, you know, each player having three plus goals a couple weeks ago. They already had like 15 or 16. Like, that's really good. So you can roll your four lines and you can just keep going and have contributions from everybody. And that's great and wonderful. The next step now is having that breakout top top line or something like that, you know, a little bit more specific roles, but they're getting there. So I think this is good progress. Even if they miss the playoffs, I'm intrigued to see what they do because they have a ton of assets to make some noise. And I don't expect them to be splashy at the deadline either and just go for it. I expect them to be very Mm -hmm. smart in how they build moving forward. Uh, Absolutely. Um, Last one for you. And I got about 60 seconds. What's the one team that confuses you the most right now? Calgary Flames. 
I, I don't get it. I don't oh, get yeah. it at all. I, <laughs> I don't get why <laughs> the goaltending struggling. I've, I've a million questions about why the goaltending hasn't been where it is. And it's not just a flames based thing. It's a league wide thing about goalie usage and things like that. Are we not, do we not understand the impacts of a goalie starting 80% of the games anymore because they're not accustomed to it. And is too, it, you know, a level of defensive structure too much. Could that be the case? Because they're missing that net front offense and they should have more spread out scoring up front, what they were missing last year with what they did this offseason. So they are a really perplexing team, but I think that they're going to open up questions that can help us get smarter about a lot of other things. Uh, well, you make us smarter uh, when you come on here and talk about <laughs> a lot of things. Uh, Shanna, congrats on the house, uh, by Thank the you. way. Um, and thanks for playing along with the expected punches per 60. I expect to see that to be the focus of your next piece uh, at The Athletic, maybe using the Lemieux-Frederick fight as the measuring stick. Um, have a great weekend. Listen, you always spend a lot of time with me, and I really appreciate it. Uh, you're a rising star, and always appreciate. I always appreciate you coming on the show because somewhere down the road, someone's going to go, oh, yeah, I remember her when she used to slum it with Jeff Merrick on his uh, on his radio slash TV show. So that's coming in your life one of these days. Thanks as always, Shana. You be good. Thanks for having me. Shana Goldman from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. Uh, okay, we're going to hit a break. Uh, Matt Marchese with the Weekend Review. We saw a lot this week, whether it was World Juniors, the NHL, etc. Uh, we'll catch it all up to get you set for the weekend. You know, get caught up with the week that was as you head into the weekend uh, with Matt Marchese. Stand by. The Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Be right back. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. One of those days where the uh, information comes in, a lot of it revolving around the World Junior Kids and where they are going. Uh, expect Dylan Gunther, by the way, to go back to Arizona. Still a chance they might send him uh, to the Western Hockey League. Trade deadline for the West is the 10th. Um, but the initial plan is for him to go, and he is going to go, to uh, back to Arizona, uh, who scored the golden goal for Team Canada, as we saw yesterday. I'm of the belief that Brant Clark returns to the Barry Colts. We know that Shane Wright is returning to Kingston of the OHL as well. Uh, where he'll be traded... Peterborough would seem to be a favorite. London... Would be considered a favorite. Ottawa, I think a very, very, very outside chance for the Barry Colts. I know a lot of people might look at Brant Clark if slash when he goes back to Barry. Do they reunite that 2003 Don Mills Flyers battery? I mean, if he goes to Peterborough, Brennan Othman's there, and he was on that team that won the OHL Cup, one of the best minor hockey teams um, Ontario's ever seen. Uh, but I would handicap it Peterborough, London, Ottawa. Outside chance of Barry for uh, for Shane Wright. Um, and people keep telling me, watch London, watch London. We'll see uh, where this all ends up. Um, there's going to be a lot of movement. It sounds like Anaheim Ducks first rounder, Pavel Minchikov, could be on the move as well. Ottawa wouldn't surprise me there. Um, anyway, uh, Matt Marchese is aboard to talk about things maybe not junior-related, maybe junior-related. I don't know. 
Uh, how are you today, Maddie? I'm good. We do have to get a bit of business out of the way, though, Jeff, um, because we have a new segment that's, we do. that we're hoping yes. to start next week. Um, it is. I'm. <laughs> this is a this is a Jeff thing, by the way, and everybody will know that this is a Jeff thing after I say it. Um, so we're gonna try to do it every day at one o'clock, and it is random player of yep. the day. So if you have a random yes. player that you want us to talk about, um, we'll try to do that every day at one o'clock. Send us an email jmshow at sportsnet.ca that is jmshow at sportsnet.ca and uh, we will do our best to get those out um there's some graphics that we need to get in order so get those in yeah so essentially what that's going to be is send in your request and i'll get you a story about that player this is like empty out the geeky brain. I, I feel like I need to get this out. Like, you know how if you don't exercise for a few days, you just need to get it out. You need to get it, to get it through your system. I, I just don't need know to get that. All this crap out of my brain. So just send random, <laughs> random hockey players. <laughs> it's a, it's just a, yes, you do, Maddie. You work it. Uh, it's just a way to get this out of my brain more. It's a healthy exercise for me to clean my brain of, of hockey information. And why not, right? Like, I got all this crap stored up in my head information by the way and obsession about the game of hockey that i assure you matt and all of our listeners and viewers kept me single for a lot of years i worked really really kept me single for a lot of years but um yeah so send it in and we'll get all that out so again it's a jm show at sportsnet.ca um the random hockey player of the doesn't have to be part of any theme or symbolic oh it's his birthday today no 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 just Random. Your thoughts. Hit the email. Send it in. We'll get it up here, and uh, and Jen's gonna put some nice graphics together for us too, right? Yeah, should be good. That's the plan. Yep, that's the plan. Okay, so uh, we can get these two out of the way quickly, but they are big stories. Um, Canada, of course, wins gold at the World Junior, and I'm watching it last night. And my buddy was over, and I turned him and I said, you know, this game feels kind of boring. I still want Canada to win, but I want it to be real exciting. And then the third period happened, and it ended up being a much better finish than it looked like it was going to early on. It ended up being a very good game by the end. Yeah, did you not look at that second check goal and say to yourself, okay, for all those people, like all those scouts and all those teams that say we're not going to use a draft pick on a small goaltender, was that not a protein shake for them? I think so. I was, and I went, Thomas ah, he Millich wants that back. A, it, well, I mean, he's, he just couldn't he just couldn't reach it, right? Yeah. Like it was, it's a tough deflection. It's a really, really tough deflection. Um, but his reaction time was great. He just runs out of leg. Yeah. Like, but if that's a goaltender who's like six foot two or six foot three, he doesn't run out of leg. And we're not talking about going into overtime. Now, I'm not dumping on Thomas Millich. He had a fantastic tournament, mm-hmm. like some outstanding performances. But for all those scouts that say, you know, don't draft small goaltenders. Small goaltenders are a thing of the past in the NHL. That every rank you got to get big goaltenders. Big goaltenders. You know, that was kind of catnip for them watching that second goal go in. But leading up to that, Millich was outstanding. Yeah, he was. He really was. And he a was. lot of it was, <clears throat> like, when you when you look at that game, too, like, you look at the players that went back from the NHL, um, Dylan Gunther, who gets a goal on a really nice pass by Joshua Roy, mm-hmm. by the way, um, and a really, really great... Dylan Gunther was outstanding all tournament. Um, a, lot of, a lot of that last game was about those three guys that went back. Brant Clark... The Los Angeles Kings, Shane Wright of the Seattle Kraken, 
And then Dylan Gunther of the Arizona Coyotes. Brant Clark starts the rush. That ends the whole thing. Shane Wright scores that gorgeous, like really gorgeous goal. And then I love the celebration, which as Cam Robinson mentioned when he had him on, was the no celebration celebration, yeah. just coasting back into the glass, which was outstanding. Um, like this was a fun tournament. Like, yeah. and it would have been like I'm always of two minds about this thing. There's the Canadian part of me that's like go Canada, win everything. And then there's the other part of me, and this, the older I get, this gets stronger, which is I just want, which I want a situation where whatever outcome is going to help grow the game or is going to help make the game better, that's what I want that outcome to be. Okay, so Canada wins and it's back-to-back and Halifax goes crazy. It's like the cork out of a champagne bottle and everybody's happy. Yay! But I'll tell you, man, like I was so happy to see what happened with Czechia because for how long has that program been dormant? Mm -hmm. For how long have we been saying, sure, every now and then there's a couple of players that make it to the NHL and erupt and have great seasons. But by and large, as far as being an international force, it hasn't been that way for a long time. Like I know I'm dating myself here, but, you know, growing up, it was Team Canada it was the powerhouse Soviets. It was Czechoslovakia who would win world championships on a consistent basis. I've talked plenty about, you know, various world, cha- world championships in the late 60s as being my favorite um, as far as intensity goes. Um, I'm just glad to see Czechia back, just like I was glad to see Slovakia back last year on the international stage as well. And I just can't help but thinking to me, and I don't know if this makes me a bad Canadian for saying it, but... If Czechia completes the comeback and wins in overtime, is that not a better outcome for hockey? I know, bad Canadian here, bad Canadian, than Team Canada winning this thing. Because how many new fans is that Canada win making? Well, I would argue it, the number none. is less than one. Yeah, yeah. And for Czechia to win that, they they inspire that in that type of win inspires a generation, right? You look at kids, in, you know, in totally. 17, 18 years from now and go, that was, that was the moment for me, right? Because they haven't really won much on the, on the men's stage, but, at, you know, a, a result like that at the U-20s would have been really, really nice. Um, okay, Shane Wright, we'll be quick on this one. Shane Wright, back to the OHL. You mentioned that. Okay. If, you had, to, if yep. you had to pick one team that you think he is going to, of the ones that you mentioned, which do you believe is the most likely? Or which do you want uh, from a personal perspective, from like a viewing experience, which one do you want to see Shane Wright go to? Whoo, that's a great question. Okay, put it this way. Okay, this is just a total guess. A total, total guess. Complete guess by me. But it is slightly informed. If it ends up being the Peterborough Peets, don't be surprised if it's a three-way deal. And here's why. Kingston wants a lot of draft picks. Mm-hmm. Like, I believe it's in the neighborhood of three seconds and three-thirds, maybe four-thirds, to go along with either a high-end 05 or a high-end 06 or maybe a combination or, like, maybe both. Peterborough doesn't have the picks. Don't forget, Peterborough used a lot of picks to uh, in the Brennan Othman trade with the Flint Firebirds. They don't have the picks. Now, there are two teams in the OHL that stand out, who have a ton of picks, who could help facilitate this deal. That's Barry, and that's Ottawa. So if it's Peterborough, 
where he ends up, where he's reunited with Brennan Othman from the 03 Don Mills Flyers. There's a belief that that's where he wants to go. And don't forget, Shane Wright is making the call on this one. Then don't be surprised if it ends up being a three-way deal because they'll need the picks um, from either Barry or Ottawa. But I never, I, I never count out London. And the London Knights right now are a, a top 10 team in the CHL, one of the best teams in the entire Canadian Hockey League. And you know what it's like when the Hunter brothers, you know, smell a championship or feel like they're getting close to a championship. They do whatever it takes. Now, if, if Shane Wright says that's the only place I'm going to go to, that's the only place I'll agree to be moved, you know, that puts Corey Cooper, who's the general manager of Kingston, in a really difficult situation because can you get the best possible deal from London? Like, here's the other caveat here. I'm not so sure that Kingston's going to get the best possible deal for Shane Wright because he controls it. Like, if a team like Sarnia steps up with an enormous package, and Sarnia has been swinging for a lot of players, swinging for the fences, and Shane Wright says, no, I'm not going there, well, then Shane Wright's not going there. Right, because he's got the no trade. So this is going to be a really interesting. And don't forget too, Kingston's one of those teams that's bidding for the Memorial Cup next year. So this is going to be a really interesting bit of stick handling by Corey Cooper, the general manager of the Kingston Frontenacs, and trying to get the best of all possible deals for Shane Wright. And you know that if there's only one team and it's London, that you can just see Mark Hunter grinding Kingston <laughs> to try to get him for as little as possible. For sure, I'll handicap it by saying Peterborough or London. Peterborough might take a third team because I don't think they have the picks to make it happen. All right. How's that? That's good. No, I like that. I I hope he goes to Barry because I'm going to the Colts game uh, next Saturday. So I'm I'm selfish that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it sounds like it sounds like they're getting Brant Clark. I'm of the belief that they're getting Brant Clark back. We'll see. We'll see what happens by the end of the day. But I I do I I believe that Brant Clark's going back. There. Okay. So at least I get to watch that. Um, okay, Connor McDavid yeah. reaches 500 assists. He becomes the fourth player under the age of 25 to do so. He's also the fifth fastest player to reach 500 assists. I don't know what else we can say about Connor McDavid other than he's great and he's one of the best players that we've ever seen. But when I looked at the list, do you know who the top five are, the four uh, faster guys to reach 500 assists were? Ooh, to reach 500 assists. There's three for, really uh, obvious well, ones. Gretzky. Yep. Gretz, Gretzky would be one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Messier? Nope. <sighs> Ron Francis? Nope. You got to think you got to think really easy for the other for three of the four. So Gretzky's one. Shall I give you a hint? Oh, wait, Peter Stastny? Peter Stastny is the yeah. one that was a surprise for me. Uh, he did it in 507 yeah. games. The other one's Mario Lemieux and Bobby Orr. And we always talk oh, about Peter Stastny being yeah. one of the, you know, the second highest scoring player of the 80s. People always forget that, but the numbers True. are incredible. And you really wonder, and I know this is going to turn into Peter Stastny talk, but what he could have done had he come to the <laughs> NHL earlier. Uh, I still remember my dad. So 1972, I was still too young. Like, I, I, I have zero memories of watching this thing live. Like every other Canadian, I've, you know, obsessed about the, the two-team Summit Series here for a number of years and watched and re-watched games and read books and been part of panels. And, you know, like we've all obsessed over 72 our entire lives. But I have no memories of watching this thing live. I was three years old. 76, on the other hand, was a big one for me. 
And I can still remember my father talking to me about, because my dad was a huge, a huge hockey fan. That's probably where I get a lot of this from. <clears throat> and I was a big fan of, you know, a lot of the Canadian players. I grew up in Toronto, so I was a big fan of Sittler. I was also a big fan of Rogie Vashon. Vashon just had a great tournament. Bobby Orr, that story is well told. But I remember my dad talking to me about two people specifically on Czechoslovakia. One was Vladimir Zarilla, the netminder, who was also a refrigerator repairman by trade and goaltender for the national team at night, um, and Peter Stastny. I still remember vividly my dad telling me about this young Peter Stastny who, like, who is going to, like, if he ever comes over to the NHL, is going to be this force, he's going to be an all-star, all of it. So I can remember one of my earliest conversations with my dad about hockey revolved around Peter Stastny. I was a huge Stastny fan. I was a huge fan of the Quebec Nordiques. I think that, you know, I, I think that Peter Stastny, when we talk about the greats from the 80s, we seem to focus on everybody except Peter Stastny. Mm -hmm. And Maddie, to your point, we really shouldn't because outside of Gretzky, he was it, man. Yeah. He was. Peter Stastny, to your point, you're bang on. He was number two when it came to scoring. So thanks, man. I like ending on Peter Stastny. No we'll problem. end our week on Peter Stastny. Matty, uh, as always, great work. Uh, thanks to Derek Brandeo and Jen Rolnick back at Master Control. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thanks to Keith Jones for stepping up and standing in today. Much appreciated. Uh, Cam Robinson from Elite Prospects catching us up on some of the kids that we just saw over the past couple of weeks in Halifax and Moncton. And Shana Goldman with the concern meter, the hope meter, and the question marks around the NHL. Hockey Night in Canada tomorrow. Four big games. Three of them starting at 7, one at 10. Enjoy it. Enjoy your weekend. This program back on the air Monday, noon Eastern, across the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Have a great weekend.